The Story in Your Head, Episode 7, What is Scared Self? So today, let's talk about scared self. So we're all scared. Some people more scared than others. That's, that's me. But what I'm wondering is how can our scared self affect our actions? And maybe the first place to start is, what is a scared self? So Ron, how would you define that? The best way for me to hold it, and it happened when I was 30 years of age when I got this story, and it was a significant event for me, was part of the Rockhurst Executive Fellows Program, of which you're supposed to have so many years of experience and all that, and I kind of you know, stretched my experience to make it to where I could get in. And so I went in, in some way I was going like, there's some reasons I don't belong here, but I got in anyway. As I went through the program and got to the end, it was part of the alumni program. Now everybody else was in their 50s and 60s, and I was in barely 30 at the time. And there's a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity, and I go, I really don't belong in this space. And we went to a meeting and they had a, a Dr. Bowen White was speaking there. And he was speaking about health issues and leadership and things like this to all these executives. And he had a, an alter ego called Dr. Yerko, which was spelled Jerko. And he was talking about all kinds of things. I'm just sitting there going like, okay, got it, got it, got it. And they started talking about fear and that we had this, this scared self or this, he called it a scared guy inside of us all. And that scared guy was everywhere all the time inside you, keeping, at best, keeping that fear hidden. Like the scared self, main goal was to make sure that nobody ever knew that you were afraid of anything. And then as I'm sitting in front room going like, God, he's just talking to me. There's like nobody, like clearly he's talking to me, not anybody else in the room. And at that moment he says, okay, I'm going to take a, a short quiz, right? How many of you are afraid, but you think you're the only one in the world that is afraid. And I was sitting in front because, you know, that's where I sit so I can like learn as much as I can, right? And as I slowly, meekly raised my hand, I looked around in the room and he said, as he, as he pointed out, you know, look around. Everybody in the room had their hand up. And that was everybody, all the executive leaders from all over Kansas City, who had got their MBA from Rockhurst as a part of this organization, right? And they were all afraid and thought they were the only one that was afraid. My world shifted at that moment from there's something wrong with me to we all have a scared self inside of us. And that's that fear that we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not fast enough, smart enough, whole bunch of not enoughs that has worked really well to protect us like about like things that are dangerous it, it keeps us away from those it, it's served us really well but it's that background story that voice in your head that keeps talking to you all the time and that voice has a bias for fear and it has a bias to make sure that nobody knows that you're afraid so we'll do everything we can to look good out in the world so that we don't look afraid but everybody I've met, in fact, it's, I, I find it fascinating in that 
the more powerful people that I've met in life, the ones who occur as more confident and aware, they're the ones that are most aware of their scared self. So it sounds to me, or what I heard is that the scared self can never be eliminated, right? It's going to be there and we have to live with it. How do you work with your scared self, right? Because it, it does, it brings, at least for me, right? All those doubts that kind of come up in your head. So what do you do when that happens? I First, I do agree that we'll never stop our scared self. Like that, that's, it's always going to be there. Like my goal would be to say, and I quote John Wise, all right, scared self, get in the back seat, right? I'm driving, you're right, you're along for the ride. I find like to acknowledge it first to myself is the first step. Oh, that's my fear. There's that scared self talking to me right now, right? That helps me to be able to put the scared self in the back seat so I'm driving. The second thing I do is to talk about it just like we're doing right now, right? When I talk about my scared self to others, couple things happen. First, the power goes away. Like that the scared self is wanting to stay hidden and when you don't when you don't hide it and you talk about it, the power goes away from the scared self's dictating your life. And when you talk about it, when I talk about it, it makes it okay for other people to talk about it. And then when we're both talking about fear, it goes from being there's something wrong with me to this is a part of the human condition. This is what it means to be human. And this is like normal. And that's, that's how I, I work with that. Thanks, Ron. Any stories where you put the scared self in the backseat and it did not backseat drive, right? Because that still is a capability of that scared self. What did it open up for you? Like what changed when you were able to do that? So my scared self has had a very active life as uh, showed up just about everywhere I've been. I think some of the places that I was in 2003, I moved to Germany and being in a foreign land where you don't speak the language when you get there, although I spoke it better when I left, I wouldn't call myself fluent. And all the things that you used to understand, like you don't understand anymore, everything from how does the bank work? How does, how do you get gasoline? How do you buy groceries? How do you do any of those things that set up a house, rent furniture, rent, and do all of those things that you used to know how to do, you don't know how to do. And that's my scared self would show up everything from where we're going to live, where our kids are going to go to school. Specifically, I remember my daughter has a slight learning disability. It's called underconvergence. And we went to the school in Dusseldorf which was the international school, which was like, that's the place to take your kids. It's the international school. It's even titled international, right? And it's an American-based school. So it was exactly an American school in that space. And, you know, we're, we're scared going into it. Like we got to get everybody in, right? And so we thought to calm our scared self down, we would tell them about our daughter's learning disability, thinking that would help calm us, calm our nerves down. And they just looked at us and said, she can't come here. I go, wait, what do, you, what do you mean she can't come here? No, she can't come here. You probably should go back to the United States. I was going, I've already moved. Like we're already, we're, we're already here, right? And my scared self's going like, what an idiot you are. You didn't check this out before you got here? 
what is going on? Because everybody just said, well, your, your kids will go there, which did not work out that way. But they would take our other two kids. I'm going like, what are you, you going to do with our, this one child, right? As we're trying to figure out what to do, we're talking to different people. And I said, well, there is a new British school that would be open. And so we got to go. We got we like, we to go find out. We've got to find her school because there's no homeschooling or anything like that. And she can't go to a German school. We tried that. We went to a German school and they go, no, she can't come here. So we went to the British school, which didn't have classes for everyone. So they didn't. They start out with like the bottom five classes, and each year they add another class as they move through till they have a whole school. And we went to the place, and I walked in, and I didn't realize just how much fear had gripped me until the teacher there, Frau Horton, who like I know a name and picture and everything about that space because I walk in and I, my inside my heart just you know pounding away, and I said, "Well, here's our." Our daughter, and, and she has this learning disability of underconvergence, which means she'll she'll need to have notes given to her and stuff like that. And she goes, oh, there's no problem. She can come here. And I, I like I can vividly, everything around me I can picture because that at that moment, until that moment, my scared self had me so wound up about the fear of what are we going to do for our daughter and do, do I have to go back home and how do I explain this to the company and what do I do with this space? To where she said, yeah, she can come here. It's no problem. Welcome. And they actually, because they didn't have a grade for my son, they actually created a grade, and he went through two grades in the same year just so he could get back on track. And what showed up for me was like my scared self had just about torn my own internal body apart, worried about all the things that I had screwed up when it worked out great. So if you were in that situation today, what would be different or so I'm listening to that story and I'm like, wow, if I had to do that, I had a little bit, I was looking to move to Japan. So I, I totally get it. And I was working through all the components and I was like, you don't really have cars in Japan. I'm going to a grocery store. and like, how do I even get these home? Turns out they have a way to do that. But we were looking at international schools and if you were to go back today, right, that same fear I think would still be there, but mm -hmm. how would you handle that differently? The stories that I told people who came in after us, including Connie, was you're not the first one here. Other people have come in and they are going to have the same or different problems than you and you'll figure it out. And no, that doesn't stop the, the scared self, the fear inside you. It just doesn't allow it to drive you. It's figure outable. Like it can be done. What it looks like, if I go back today, would, would the same schools take her in? I don't know, but we'd figure out a way to do it. And what I would tell myself is, relax. You'll figure it out. And the scared self's still there. It's just I can't imagine what I showed up like to Frau Horton with my whole body, every muscle flexed, tensed. I, she had to look across the table go, or across the desk at me and go like, I think this guy's going to kill me, Right. Because I was like in that focused state, I was scared, like fight or flight, versus going in and go, is is this where it's going to work? Yeah. You said something really important, right? We'll figure it out. The confidence that you'll figure it out, right? And if that wasn't the right school, there might have been a third school or who knows, home tutoring. or. But I guess when you're so scared, and I'm thinking of myself, those options don't appear. When we left the international school and went out to the car, 
like none of the options appeared, not even the British school. Because we were just going like, oh my God, what do we what do we do now? Kind of looking at each other going like, do we have to go home? Like we sold our house and we've, you know, we don't have a job and like all that stuff's going through our head. And then somebody said, well, there is the British school. Really? But it wasn't until we had a network of people that we trusted able to tell us that there was something else we could do. And I see that now withholding that we'll figure it out and we're not the first ones to be here. It enables me to very quickly recenter and go, we'll get there. And it opens up space for me to reflect on that. Where has scared self showed up for you? Yeah. So I'll I'll tell two stories. The first one's a little goofy, but since I have the mic, I'm going to do it anyway. And it's when I really came to grips with my scared self. So I don't like roller coasters. They scare the crap out of me. But all my friends went on roller coasters and I felt left out because I wasn't going on the roller coasters. And I said, you know what? I'm going to conquer this fear. So I got a season pass. This is um, when I was a senior in high school. So I got a senior pass to, it was a great adventure near us. So it's like all the big rides, you know, they go upside down, they go in circles, all sorts of stuff. And I said, I'm going to spend this summer. And if I go on my theory, if I go on enough roller coasters, I will condition myself that it'll be okay. Because, right, I'll get on, I'll be scared, I get off, I didn't die. You know, rinse and repeat kind of thing. So I did that. I went on all of them. I went on the ones that went upside down and went to the loop of the loops. I did inside, outside. And I was just as terrified every time I got off of them to the point where once in a while people would look at me and say, are you okay? Right. As I stagger off of this stupid ride. So at the end of the summer, I'm like, okay, what did I accomplish? And I'm like, I still don't like roller coasters. And I scared the crap out of myself for three months. I'm like, Got it. Big lesson. I don't like roller coasters. And it's perfectly fine to not like roller coasters. So I became the person that holds your stuff when other people go on a roller coaster. And I love sitting there watching the people go by, having their enjoyment. I really enjoy it. And people love when I go because I hold their stuff. They don't have to go to lockers. They don't worry about their phone falling out. They don't have to worry about all sorts of things. And I had a really good time. And even to this day, sometimes people say, oh, my God, you're such a wimp. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I don't like them. But I was okay with the fear, right? I'm okay. I don't have to do that. It's not a life and death situation. So it was a big lesson to me on it's okay to be afraid of something. And there's something else you can do with that, right? The space of being an incredible offer of help to holding other people's stuff and still enjoying the experience, just not going upside down on a roller coaster. So that was sort of the first one where I, it's like, oh, it's okay. I don't need to be, I don't have a job designing roller coasters, so I'm good, right? It wouldn't be a career for me. And then the other one, a little more maybe relevant for some, was when I was in business meetings, right? The scared self of, I'm going to say something stupid, right? That's a big one for me. Mm-hmm. And I'd be sitting there in a meeting, we'd be talking and discussing things, and that little voice in your head would have a brilliant idea. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a really good idea. And then 5, 10, 15 minutes go by, and somebody else says it. And everybody's like, yeah, great idea, wonderful. I'm like, but I had that idea. But I never said it out loud, so I didn't have that idea. And then 
it happened once, if it happened twice, it happened three times, and then I start getting upset with myself. And I'm like, you know what? What's the worst thing that can happen? I guess I could say it's a stupid idea, and I could just say, well, let's modify it or work through it. But that scared self held me from saying so many things that were really good ideas. And sometimes somebody wouldn't have the same idea. The meeting would end. I'd walk away with that darn good idea that maybe would come up a week later that we just lost. So it really helped me to see the impact of not only myself, but of my ability to be a leader or a contributor in a meeting by being so scared of saying something and somebody were to judge me. I didn't give the opportunity for a good idea to be worked with the group and to work through it. So that was another one with me, but that one, that fear, not like the roller coaster where I could just say, I don't like roller coasters, right? This one I had to say, okay, thank you, scared self. I love the metaphor, put it, put the person in the back seat and drive and go forward. And when I started speaking up and talking more, guess what? I got more noticed, right? And now people actually wanted me in the meetings rather than the person in the corner that didn't contribute and was a lot more fun. I think that was the big one. So I think those are the two for me. What I remember and the impact of letting that scared self drive versus being a passenger in the back seat. That's great, Michelle. Thank you. What I noticed when listening to you speak was there are times when I would say, well, like, oh, I got to have the best answer or I got to have something that's significant to contribute versus being in a space of well, what I say may inspire somebody else and get something that's much better than I could do by myself. And I can be a part of the process versus like I have to be right or I have to be the best. And my scared self says, well, if you're not the best, then stay in a corner. And I'm going like, no, I get to contribute. And that story has helped me keep my scared self in the back seat. Yeah, thanks, Ron. I'd say that's really important. I, I can't really think of an example where something I said was the best answer and that was used. It was the launching point of a discussion. And the best answer was when everybody contributed. It also helped me as I continued to work through in leadership roles and management to notice that person in the corner that maybe is scared to speak up and provide the encouragement and space to ask their thoughts and opinions, right? To help them get through what I know what it's like to be, to be sitting there in the corner with that, that little fear and within you. So that's, that's something I do remember quite a bit. Thanks. Any other strategies for how to work with people's scared self? Well, as you said, even earlier, let them know you're scared too. And probably of the same damn thing, right? Somebody's going to judge me. I'm not enough. All the time. So for those of you who listen to this podcast, you'll probably hear this one. So I was on the tennis courts this morning, right? Because when I play tennis, I notice things that I do there that I do everywhere. It just is, for some reason, helps me to notice it a little bit easier. So of course, I'm still a beginner. I'm learning. And I'm always scared of letting my partner down right? Hitting the ball into the net, hitting the ball out, which, which I know how to do pretty well. And there was another person playing and he's like, I don't care if we win or lose, just hit the ball and relax. And it was great advice, right? And he, he was saying it to himself as much as he was to me, right? And working through it. 
and we played great, right? Both of us played better than we played probably in a little while, certainly better than we played when we first started. And when I think about that, the person that I see in the corner, right, to tell the stories of, this is what happened to me, right? The I'm not enough story. A lot of people, I haven't found somebody that didn't have a version of that somewhere in their lives or still continue to work with it. And letting them know the way I felt and how you can overcome that, right, in a safe environment to just start. Start somewhere. Thanks, Michelle. I, I do like the story of the quiet, shy person not willing to jump in. What I notice with our scared self loves to do is create a shield and a shield that protects you. And there's that, uh, like the turtle effect or the, you're pulling back into your shell and that's a great shield, right? Cause people won't notice you unless somebody's looking for somebody who's hiding behind a shield. I also hold that people who are always putting their ideas out there in front, that's their version of shield, right? So that they're afraid, just like everybody else is afraid but they're going to get out there because that's, that's how they protect themselves so that nobody knows that they're afraid. They look confident and they look there, but that's just their version of the shield. And when I hear that, when I see that now, and I can notice it. It enables me to work with them a little differently, right? Because it's easier for me to, when I see that, it's easier for me to go like, oh, they're so confident. I'm, I'm so insufficient. When I see that, I go, oh no, that's their shield. I go, Okay, so what's my shield? My shield is being quiet. So now I know that we're just the same. We just chose different shields. And it enables me to dance with them and to bring what I have out into the world, into their space, because I know they're scared too. And they're just doing their best. So how did you notice your own shield? I mean, that's a great story, right? You did that wonderful concept. And, and I agree, I've got probably a few of them. How do you notice them and, and work with them yourself? So I'm working this, not like I've got all this, this all figured out. I'm really looking for what are those stories I'm telling myself in my head that are keeping me protected? Like, well, I don't have enough experience here. Let's see. I don't have enough experience shield, right? Well, that could be right, but I, I, we don't know that for a fact, but I'll just be quiet for now. That's my, we don't know that for a fact shield, right? Or, you can say, no, no, I've seen that fail before. That's a great shield, right? Ah, no, that's failed before, right? And that means that we're not going to do that. When all it really means is last time they tried it, they may not have believed in it, and it didn't produce because they didn't believe in it. That has nothing to do with the mechanics of it. They could still discover something new if they can put their shield down. That's how I notice it, and... I, I love the metaphor of shield because everybody has their own version of that and it enables me to connect to everybody else as a human and being afraid. What I heard, shields come up because they want to protect you, right? You're protecting yourself, which I would think is a pretty dominant human part of a human being, right? To protect themselves. I mean, that's been back from caveman times. So if you drop your shield, do you drop your protection? And how does that work out, right? I'm just helping people to sort of think through that. It sounds like it's a good idea to drop your shield, but that means you're dropping your protection. What does that open up for you? Thanks, Michelle. It enables us to be vulnerable. 
right? So you drop your shield down and you're vulnerable, which means you're, you're open to hearing the other story. You're actually open to being modified. You're open to letting the scared self out, or should I say, letting the scared self out into the world where people can say, where you can say, yeah, that's just my scared self. So you can recognize it. But if you don't, you keep your shield. When I, when I keep my shield up, I'm just feeding into my scared self story about uh, I'm not enough. I got to keep my protecting myself and I'm not going to let anybody else into my world, which we learn from each other. So when I protect what I'm actually doing is protecting myself from the opportunity to learn or connect with another person. Thank you. Yeah. That vulnerability piece, you know, when you first say the word, right, it triggers, Oh my God, you can't be vulnerable. Whatever. Just a story that I have in my head. Right, because the cyber tooth tiger is going to come get me. But vulnerability, and when I think back of some leaders that I've really admired, they were absolutely vulnerable. Right. And because when I saw that, the story I made up is they were authentic. Right. That was them. It wasn't a story I could trust in a different way when I saw the vulnerability of somebody else. And it did relax me, right? And so now I can think better. Interesting you, you shared that. When I can see somebody's vulnerable, I can trust them. Yeah. I want to use the same metaphor, but that shield is down. So you're seeing the person. The real, the real person. The right. authentic and person. That's what they are. That's what they are. So to me, that builds trust. And I remember... Um, one time, so I, I, I worked for Merck and Ken Frazier was, and, and still is, the CEO of the company. And we were doing some work and every so often what we'll do is we'll bring in a patient, right, to kind of tell the story about how what we were discovering made a difference in that person's life. And, you know, it's up on stage, we're going through this, and he was crying right, that he made a difference in somebody's life. And he was so grateful of all the scientists and everything. And when he did, the whole audience did, right? So next thing you know, right, you have 250, 300 people sitting in this audience, like all crying. Um, and of course, now the guy's getting really uncomfortable, right, because he's telling his story. And, but he was also grateful. And it was a real show of vulnerability. And boy, did you want to work for that company right? Because you're like, this is why we're here, is to make a difference in others' lives. So I always remembered that and, and what a, a strong leader he is. And vulnerability does create trust. And you can be vulnerable with other people. Absolutely. So I'd like to offer the opportunity for those of you listening to the podcast, if you've got a story about your scared self, something that you noticed about your scared self or someplace where you led your scared self, uh, don't hesitate to send us an email at ron at macklinconnection.com. Excellent. Or if you want, send it to me at michelle at macklinconnection.com. We'd love to hear from you and love to hear your stories. Thanks, Michelle. And thank you, Ron, very much. Wonderful session today. And I hope it made a difference in somebody's life. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye.